Yes, yeah, so I'm Karis, and um, I have, I'm married to David, as Angie said, and we have four lovely children. Uh, we've been at Trinity for a while, seven years now, I think, seven years. Um, and I have been given the privilege, um, the, the challenging privilege, of looking at the question of why does God allow suffering? And I don't know how you felt when you saw that that was what we were going to be talking about this morning. Because actually, the topic of suffering and pain and even death is is a real taboo in our culture. In fact, in our Western culture, we will do anything that we can to avoid pain and suffering. In fact, um, uh, last week, I, um, I'm a teacher also, so I, I was taking my primary school children on a school trip last week to a wood. Now, the wood backs onto the school that the children are at, um, and the sheer amount of risk assessment and health and safety documents that I had to fill in in order to take these group of nine children on this trip to this wood where we were, I don't know, we were not doing anything dangerous of any sort. But it just testifies to the fact that we are in a society that will do everything it can to avoid pain. I'm not against filling in health and safety and risk assessment documents, just so you know. Um, They are important. Um, But, but, but... There is a reality to the fact that suffering and pain is inevitable. It is inevitable. We are going to face it at some point in our lives. If you are human, you are going to face suffering and pain. And it might be in the small, the small things like a splinter in your foot. Um, Ezra's got a splinter in his foot at the moment. I'm really struggling to uh, get him to a place where I can get it out because it causes so much pain and he's so cross about it. He's three. Um, or it might be actually the, the, the desperate despair of losing someone that is incredibly precious to you and the disorientation that that spins you into in that place of suffering and pain. We will face it. We will face it. And when we are in that play, place of disorientation and desperation, actually it evokes so many questions in us. However steady we've felt in the safe spaces, in the easy spaces, in those spaces when suffering hits us, questions come and we, are, we spin into disorientation. Questions like, why does God allow this? Who, who is he in this? I thought he was one thing and now this has happened and now I'm not so sure about who he is anymore. Where is he and what is this all about? So many questions come. And we're gonna, this morning we're going to take a, a journey through some of these questions. We're going to talk about the why of suffering. Why, why does God allow suffering? We're going to talk about, can you put that slide back up for me? Just so I can remember what I was going to say. Right, the why of suffering. We're going to talk about the who. Who is God? Who is he? We're going to talk about how. How do we journey through suffering? What are some of the tools that we need to journey through suffering? And we're going to talk about the where, the bigger picture, about the where are we going, where are we headed, because that gives us hope for the now. So we're going to start. Let's look at the why. Let's look at the why. And I think when when it comes to suffering, there are two levels to the question why. There's the level of the kind of the kind of intellectual, biblical understanding of why is there suffering in the world? That we can do it at a rational level, and we can talk about it, we can discuss it, we can debate it, and we're going to have a look at that. But then there is the desperate, desperate heart cry of the why. The gut-wrenching why. Why have you done this, God? Why is this happening? 
And we need to look at both, and we need to approach both in a very different way. Now, I'm going to start with the first one, the kind of uh, give you a biblical overview of why there is suffering. Now, this is a very, very simplified version. Um, and I know, I just felt as I was preparing this, that there are actually some people here. And the biblical understanding, the theological narrative of why there is suffering in the world, you actually have a hunger to know that more. And if that is you, I do want to encourage you that there are so many brilliant books about suffering. Tim Keller has done one. Amy Ewing has done one. Pete Grieg has done one called God on Mute. There are some brilliant books. Get into the books, because I'm just going to do an overview. I'm not going to answer all your biblical questions on suffering, okay? So that's just a little disclaimer before we begin. But So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the why. God did not design humanity to suffer. That was not his intention. Genesis 1 and 2 show us that God created a perfect, beautiful world. God came as creator, as an artist to a masterpiece, and he created a beautiful world. And the pinnacle of his creation was man and woman just as Adam and Eve. And he created Adam and Eve so that he could have relationship with them and that they could have relationship with him. He created them to love and he made them in his image and everything was perfect. But the very nature of love is that it has to be given freely. You cannot demand love or it is not love. It has to be given freely, and therefore there was choice, there was free will. So then we get to Genesis 3. In this garden, God has put a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there is also a snake in the garden. Now I'm just going to say something very quickly here. This is, um, uh, uh, this is a poetic, symbolic story to communicate what happened, okay? This is not necessarily literally what happened. There's debate over that as well. But I'm just saying, just as, as I'm going through this, if you've not heard this story before, which I hope you have, but if you haven't, that's what this is. So Genesis 3, tree, snake, Adam and Eve. The snake comes to Adam and Eve and he says to them, did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree. And he begins to question, and he puts a different perspective for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have been completely content with God as their authority, the one who they love. And he's been, they have been in a place of contentment. But then the snake comes, and he begins to challenge and question the character of God. Did God really say that? Because actually, you will know what he knows if you eat from this tree. And so they eat from the tree. What happens? Sin Death, evil, enters the world. And as it enters, there is a brokenness that comes. They reject God's authority over them. And in doing that, darkness begins to unfold and all relationships fall apart. Relationships to one another, to the natural world, to the, our bodies, our emotions, everything falls apart. And creation is subject to frustration. Now, the Greek word for the word frustration, this is in Romans 8, this talks about that, that creation is subject to frustration. And that word frustration can be interpreted futility. And if something is futile, it means it's not living up to its purpose. It's not living up to its design. You see, we were not designed to suffer. We were not designed to suffer 
The world is now in a cursed condition that falls short of its design. We were not created to face disease, death, pain, ruptured relationships, or natural disasters. A frustrated world is a broken world, and that is why it does not function as it should. And that is why there is suffering and evil. Tim Keller says, Once human beings turned from God, there were only two alternatives. Immediate destruction or a path that led to redemption through great loss, grief, and pain for human beings and for God himself. You see, in that moment of separation between God and man, where Adam and Eve were sent from the garden and they were broken in their relationship with Father God, in that moment there was already a plan for redemption. There was a plan for restoration of that relationship in the person of Jesus. And we will come back to that at a different point. So, that is a brief overview of the why of suffering at an intellectual kind of biblical level. And then we're going to get to come now to the place of the the why of suffering in that desperate place. In that that place, um, an example of this for me was probably um, when I first moved to Cheltenham about seven years ago, I had a friend um, that I was at university with. And um, and she, in fact, whilst we were at university, just before she'd come to university, her brother had died in, in a car accident. And so as we went through university, I was supporting her. We were supporting her through the grief of losing her brother. She then got married. She had two children. We, um, I moved to Cheltenham. She was in London. She called me up one day and she said, Tom, her husband has a brain tumour. And, and so, and, and I, you know, in that moment, I remember the call and I remember thinking, yes, but God is powerful. And I have seen God heal. I know that he can heal. I know that he can bring good out of this situation. It's going to be okay. And so week on week on week, we would chat and, uh, and, uh, we, and I'd help process with her. Uh, I didn't actually say much at all, actually. I just would just listen and, and pray and listen and pray. And we got to a point where Tom died. And it sent me into a complete spin, which is what happens when these things happen. Is that suddenly we are spun into a place of who is this God? Who are you, God, in this place where you didn't do what I expected you to do? Then who are you? And it is such an important question to ask. And it is such an important question to give him the space to answer. You see, sometimes when we, when we get into that place of, who are you, God? You didn't do what I expected you to do. What we do is we withdraw from connection with him. And what we need is to come into connection with him. And we need to cry out, who are you, God? And so very briefly, we're going to look now, who is this God that we serve? Who is our God and where is he in the place of pain? Who is he? He is Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, what happened is that that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that we would not perish, but we would have eternal life. He gave his son, Jesus, Jesus came 
to earth. We are the only religion, we are the only faith of all faiths who has a God, the creator who came to the created. We are the only faith that has a God who is wounded. Still. Still. When we see him in heaven, we will see the wounds in his hands. We have a wounded creator who came to earth to be with his people and is alive today. And we need him. We need him. We need to know who he is so that we can journey through the path of pain. Paul, when he was in prison, he says, I want to know the, um, the what is it? I want to know the the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Yes, the power of his resurrection. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have the power of his resurrection. But we also have the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and we need both. We need to know both. We need to understand the kingdom that is here now and not yet, but we also need to know the fellowship Fellowship, the togetherness, the journeying together of sharing in his sufferings. So, I don't know um, what you, when you think of maybe a situation you have been through and the, what, where you were with God in that place. But there's this lovely quote um, from C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes, actually. Um, And it's from the story of the magician's nephew. And it's where uh, the character Diggory, his mum, is really sick. In fact, she's, she's going to die. And he is desperate to find a cure. And he runs into Aslan, or he comes to Aslan. And he says to Aslan, and this is up here, yeah. He says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? It says up until then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and his huge claws that were on them. And now, in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for the tawny face was bent down near his own. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. You see, sometimes in that place of pain when we are, um, when we are feeling that brokenness, We can feel like God is some kind of headmaster in the sky who just deals out this stuff and is disconnected from where we're at. But the reality is he is a God who has felt deeply the pain of grief and suffering, of rejection, of despair, loneliness, sorrow, everything. He has faced it. He has felt it. Tim Keller says again, he's so committed to our ultimate happiness that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depth of suffering himself. He understands us. He has been there and he assures us that there is a plan to wipe away every tear. Some might say that is half the answer to the question why. Yes, but it is the half that we need. That he came. 
But he didn't just come to be among us. He came to become sin for us on a cross. He came to take away that that moment when the apple was eaten and there was separation from God and sin entered the world. The only choice was to completely eliminate humanity because of the evil in human hearts or to take that evil upon himself on a cross and experience God forsakenness, a complete separation from God, which none of us will ever experience. But he did on that cross and the completely innocent sinless God-man went to a cross and took it all on himself. Why? Because he loves us. And in that place, he conquered death. Because three days later, he rose again. He conquered death. He came to life. And now we can have connection and fellowship and relationship with him. And we have the hope of heaven to come. Okay. So, how? What are some of the tools that we need in order to walk through suffering? See, the temptation is that, that, that as we've talked about, that that we want to hide from God, we want to shut down. And actually our culture, in particularly our British culture, um, even now, even as far as we've come, it is still very much that we don't fully experience or express where we are at emotionally. Um, I remember hearing about um, a little uh, a family who, where the father had died And there were three sons in this family. And at the funeral, the eldest son was stood there with a brave face the whole time. He was was sat there through the whole funeral. And he he just sat and he was polite and and well-mannered with the people around him. The youngest son wept his way through the whole thing. In fact, he was so in despair that there was a moment he couldn't even sit on his seat. He was on the floor crying his eyes out at the death of his father. And at the end of the funeral, a family member went up to the eldest son and said, well done for being so brave for your family. But the person who told me this said, actually, he was the son that I felt most broken for. Because the youngest son, he was on the floor and he was expressing exactly what he was feeling in that moment, that this was not fair or okay. And he was in despair and he was showing it. But the other son, who was being brave... Something was shut down in that place. And for some reason, we, we congratulate that kind of behavior. And sometimes we think that's the kind of behavior we need to bring to the Lord in a place of suffering and pain, is that we need to be brave. We need to persevere through this. And we do need to persevere. That's a different matter. But, but we don't need to be brave before our Heavenly Father. We need to be broken. If you are feeling broken... That is what the Father wants you to bring to him. Because in the place of brokenness, he can pour out his spirit. He can come and he can bring his fellowship into that place. You need to open up the door to allow him to come in, even if you're angry. In fact, the Psalms are full, aren't they? of expressions of anger and frustration and confusion and uncertainty and disorientation. They're poured out to God in some really quite dramatic ways that actually you might, if, if, if you were trying to show the Bible to someone who wasn't a Christian, there were some Psalms that you might avoid. 
Okay, because these are heart cries of somebody who has a good relationship with a loving God and is saying, I don't get this. I don't get this. But some of the Psalms, you'll see there is a journey. There's a heart cry at the beginning. I don't get this. What are you doing, God? This isn't fair. This isn't right. But you are good and you are on your throne. And you are. And he begins to declare who God is. And he goes on this whole journey. And some of us, we need to take that journey. I spoke to somebody who said, or I heard someone say, that they would read the Psalms until they found their own heart voice in them. Sometimes we just need to um, find our heart voice, our soul voice. Sometimes that might be journaling it out. Sometimes it might be going to a space where there is no one and shouting it out to God. But then, then, another tool is that we then need to come to a place of worshipping him, declaring who he is above the noise of the storm in our hearts that we declare who he is because that positions us to encounter him. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So we need to express, we need to worship. We need to be real. We need to be real. Mm. Sometimes it will be a sacrifice of worship, guys. That's really important to know. You know, worship isn't all the hot, fuzzy, nice feelings that you get when we're in a setting like this on a nice, sunny day. Sometimes worship is so painful And sometimes it is such a sacrifice. But what it does is that it positions us with him. And that's what we need to get through. And it moves us just that tiny bit further on, on our journey. And in that place, he will bring us comfort. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Our hope for you is firm, for we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. So also you will share in our comfort. And and folks, I would also say at this point that we need other people. We need other people. We need fellowship. When, When something tragic or painful happens in our lives, the temptation is to withdraw from fellowship. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from a life force from somewhere, from from the prayers of people. Prayer is powerful and effective. Sometimes we don't have the capacity to pray for our situation anymore. But if we can get the saints around us praying, then we can feel something breaks in, something breaks through. For me, the most powerful moment of this was when, um, when Ben was two years old, he's my second son, no, first son, second child, um, when he was two years old, I, um, I was sat with him, we were eating lunch together at home, and he began to choke on a piece of pasta that he was eating at lunchtime. And, um, and he, uh, at first I just, you know, you do the tapping on the back thing, and, and then I realized that it was completely stuck. And he began, to, he began to stop breathing. And then, um, and I just went into desperate panic, you know? And, and then, um, and then he, he lost consciousness. We called an ambulance. 
ambulance came. And, you know, all of this craziness is going on. And, 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 it, and I am desperate, like desperate. And I am crying out to God. I didn't care who heard me. I sat in the ambulance with my son with this oxygen thing. And I could see the oxygen dropping and dropping. And I'm thinking, you cannot let him die, God. You cannot let him die. This is not okay. And the ambulance men are sitting there probably thinking that I've gone completely raving mad. But I am crying out to God. And in the moment, I felt you need to get people to pray. And so I got out my phone and with shaking hands, I texted on a, a, a whatever WhatsApp group I could find, pray, pray, pray. And I, I, I messaged it and, and I was feeling so desperate. And as that message went out, I, I, like probably about three minutes later, peace, incredible peace that passes understanding took hold of me. And even though nothing had changed, okay, nothing had changed, but the peace that I experienced in that moment because of people praying was incredible. We need people praying. We are not on our own. He's put us in fellowship. He's put us in a family. And finally, guys, my last point. We have hope. We have hope because of where we're going. It is not, this is not, this is not what it's all about. We are living for heaven because of what Christ did on the cross. We can now be with him in eternity. You see, the Bible, it begins with a garden, a perfect garden in Eden, and it ends with a garden in Genesis 22. And in Genesis 22, it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, the river like in Eden, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will have no need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We are going to a place where there are no more tears, there is no more sorrow, there is no more pain. That is where we're headed. That is where we're headed, and we are going to be with him forever. We can know him now. He is here with us. And as a point, the Holy Spirit, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit as our advocate, our helper, our comforter, our strength. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We are not left alone as orphans. He is with us. He is with us. Come to him as you are. He knows. He sees He knows.